0: Great to worship with you all. It really is. Does anybody know, this is not part of the sermon, this is a freebie. Does anybody know what the word hallelujah means? Hallelujah. It's something we say all the time, but it actually has really incredible meaning. The word hallel in Hebrew means to praise, to praise, to praise, or to glorify. So when Jesus was entering into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, who remembers this? It's a scene that happens in the Gospels when he was coming into Jerusalem for the last time and he was riding on a donkey and the people were saying what's called the Hallel in Hebrew, in Jewish culture. It's a prayer from Psalm 112 to Psalm 118. To Hallel is to praise. And Yah is a short, a short uh, you know, addition of the word Yahweh, which is God's name. So every time you say hallelujah, hallelujah in church or in song, you are saying praise be to Yahweh, praise be to Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and the earth. So I thought I'd share that little tidbit before we jump in. So our passage for today is from the book of Romans chapter five, and we're going to be in verses one through five. And I know the bulletin says that we're talking about hope the upward calling of hope. And we are gonna talk about hope, rest assured. We haven't changed anything around. But hope is what we're gonna get to at the end. Before we get to hope, we have to get through a few other things that this passage talks about. And the first thing, and one of the two main things that I wanna talk about with you this morning is this idea of peace, peace. What does it mean if you've been coming to church or you've been a Christian long enough, What does it mean to have peace with God? I know we haven't read our passage yet, but we will in just a second. This is an essential part of the Christian life. What we're about to read says that we have been given in Christ Jesus peace with God. And you know something about peace? It's not just that God wants you to have peace. It's that he actually wants it bad enough that he paid for it. God paid the required price for you and I to have peace with him. Now, who knows? There's a difference between wanting something and wanting something enough that you're willing to pay for it. Right? And the more you're willing to pay... shows that you want it more and more and more, right? The higher price you're willing to pay, the more badly you want something. God paid a high price so that you and I could have peace with him. But there's something else that this passage offers us. And what that is, is an invitation. It's an invitation. It's not just that God wants us to have peace, although he does want us to have that. But he also wants us to have an authentic, genuine Christian life. He wants us to experience genuine salvation and genuine wholeness. And I believe that the passage we're about to read, Romans five, one through five, is an invitation for each one of us to examine what it is to live an authentic Christian life and also to ask ourselves personally, Am I experiencing this? Is this the Christian life that I'm living? Am I experiencing the real thing? We're not going to do this in the spirit of judgment or condemnation. We're going to do this in the spirit of humility, where we say, Father God, if there's something more that you have for my life, I want that more that you have for me. And I'm willing to go get it and to do what I need to do to lay hold of the life that you've called me to live in Christ. So, Those two things. Peace with God, authentic Christian life. Those are the two ideas I want you to have in your mind as we move forward. Romans five, verses one through five. This is what the Holy Scriptures say. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace that we're standing in and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we also rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Lord, would you speak through me this morning and allow me not to say anything that comes from my own mind or from my own flesh. But Lord, would you give me the words that you would have spoken and would you allow our hearts to be humble before you this morning so that you can be glorified and your people can be built up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what does it mean to live a genuine Christian life? You know, there's a lot of things that I think the world outside the walls of the church associates with Christianity. When you think of what the world calls to mind when they think of a Christian, talking about like the things that we do as Christians, what's, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind? What do people think about when they think of Christians and the types of things that we do? Anybody? Okay, I'll give you one that I thought of. How about going to church? When you think of a Christian, do you think of someone that goes to church, typically? Going to church is sort of an essential part of the Christian life, isn't it? And that's not a misnomer or a misconception. The Bible says that we are not supposed to forsake the gathering together of ourselves. That it's very, very important that all of us are a part of a local body, of a local church. And let me tell you, I am so grateful that this church belongs to this congregation. I'm talking about this church belongs to this congregation. But who knows that a church is not defined by the building that they meet in. A church is a body of believers. It's a gathering that meets under the lordship of Christ and that stirs one another up, the Bible says, in love and good works so that afterward we go out and we reveal Christ to the world. So going to church, being a part of a local church, is an essential part of the Christian life. But does going to church make you a Christian? It does not make you a Christian. We all know why, right? We've all been in church enough times to realize that sometimes there's people who go to church that aren't Christians, right? And that's what we want to avoid. We want to avoid being caught in that little that little pothole in the road where we just get in the habit of doing something for the sake of doing it and forget the why behind it. How about holding to a certain set of theological beliefs? Does that make someone a Christian? No? What do you guys think? Yeah? No? Maybe kind of? This could be a tricky one. This is a tricky one. I'll tell you why. Because in order to be a Christian, you do have to believe the right stuff, don't you? You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and he is the Son of God. That he was, as we read earlier and as Pastor Carlos mentioned, born of a virgin. That he died and rose again. That he paid for our sins. You have to believe those things in order to be a Christian. But who knows that the people that wrote the New Testament who were fully inspired by God, the followers of Jesus, and even Jesus Christ himself, who knows that they all had something in common when it in common when it comes to how they understood faith. You know what Jesus and the disciples believed about faith? Faith isn't just something that you do with your mind or even with your mouth. It's something you do with your hands and your feet. Faith in the Bible is always something that you act on. Not just something that you keep inside. It's something that you do. That's why James, who's the brother of the Lord, wrote a book that's in your Bible. And he writes to a bunch of Christians who are scattered all throughout this Roman world, right? And he says, guys, I got to remind you about something. Faith without works is dead. Exactly. It's not living faith. It's not real faith. You see, this wasn't a revelation to them. He was writing to Jewish Christians. But they were living in this Greco-Roman world and they were being Corinthianized (laughs) in certain ways. And they were getting these ideas in their mind. They had been hanging out with a lot of Greeks. I love Greeks. One of my best friends in the world is from Greece. But who knows, Greek culture tends to elevate philosophy, Mm -hmm. thinking, right? It can tend to be sort of esoteric. And James is trying to remind these Christians, guys, Faith is something that you do, not just something that you think about and say. Now who knows that we're saved by faith? We are absolutely saved by faith. We're gonna talk about that more in a minute. But the question is, does holding to a certain set of theological beliefs on its own make someone a Christian? Mm-mm. No. No. Okay, a few more quick ones. How about being generous? Mm-mm. Generous is pretty, Being generous is pretty important, right? God wants us to be giving generous people because he wants us to realize that he's the greatest treasure we could ever have. Being generous is so important. Jesus was the most generous person that ever lived. I tell Pastor Carlos all the time, I love free food. And I always say, well, Jesus didn't charge for food. He turned turned three loaves and some fish into enough food for 5,000 people and didn't charge a dime. Right? Yes. So if you're giving out free food, man, I'm there. You're following Jesus. (laughs) But does being generous make someone a Christian? Not by itself. No. Nope. How about being nice? That does that make someone a Christian? No. Being kind. no. You all get the point, right? So what is it that makes someone a Christian? If we boil this all down, I think it lies, if you boil everything down, there's one question that we all should ask ourselves when it comes to, am I living a genuine, authentic Christian life? And we'll get to what this has to do with God's peace in just a second. But here's what it all boils down to. You ready? Do you know the Lord? Do you know him? And are you doing life every day with him? That's what it all boils down to. It's not about are you doing life perfectly? It's not about have you become so sanctified and so holy that you're perfectly Christ-like now? No, we're never going to be perfect in this life. But what God is offering us through Jesus is a chance to be reconciled to him, to know him, to have a personal, real, living relationship with him to where every day, he's not just a part of our life or something that we do, he's at the center of our life. He's motivating every other part of our life. We're living from this place of knowing God and being reconciled to God, being one with him. That's what it's all about when we're asking the question, What does it mean to live the Christian life? Because if you got that part, all the rest is going to follow. All the rest is going to follow. So what does this have to do with the peace of God and this peace that God wants us to have that he, he actually paid for us to have? Let's look back now at this passage, Romans 5 1, and let's work through it just real quickly a little bit. It says, Therefore, Since we have been justified by faith, now I gotta give you a warning real quick. You never start a passage of the Bible that says therefore without asking what it's there for. A therefore is always there for something, but since we're short on time, I'll just give you a really quick overview. This is the letter to the Romans and what the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter just got finished doing is walking these people through salvation history. He's taken them all the way back to the beginning. This is what mankind was like. This was the state that we were in when Adam sinned and all of humanity fell into sin afterward. And these are all the things that God has done to get us to this point where now Jesus Christ is on the scene. And he is going to completely and fully redo everything that Adam did that caused humanity to be stuck under sin's power. That's what he's about. That's where he's been and that's where he's going. So that's what the therefore is there for, okay? But since, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who knows what it means to be justified? To be justified. To be justified means that we have been made right with God. That's what it means. You've been made right with God. Your sins have been absolved, they've been washed away. So this is the example that God gave me when it comes to understanding what it means to be justified. Picture yourself standing in a courtroom, okay? And you're the one on trial. Now I get that this might be a little hard for some of us because I get the feeling not many people in this room have ever been on trial, I could be wrong. But imagine you're in a courtroom and you are on trial. And you're standing before a judge. And the judge is about to read your verdict. And it just so happens that the judge is God Almighty. And you're in heaven's court. And you're on trial, not for murder or adultery or one of those big sins, the sins that we consider big sins. You're on trial for one simple thing. Have you sinned? Have you in your life fallen short of the holy righteous standard that God set? And so you know the verdict's about to be read, God's about to roll out your verdict, and you know you're guilty, right? You know you're guilty. We all in our heart of hearts know that we are not perfect people. We fall short and we mess up. And so you're standing in the courtroom, and God Almighty is the judge, and he says, I have a verdict, this court finds you, and when God speaks in Revelation, it says his voice sounds like thunder, like rolling thunder. So this is no judge you want to mess with, right? God says, this court finds you, and you're waiting to hear that one word, guilty. But instead, there's another little word in front of it. Not guilty. Hallelujah. Not guilty. Hallelujah is right. Praise Yahweh. Praise God. This court finds you not guilty. And you say, but God, Lord, I know I've sinned. I know I've fallen short. And he looks at you and he says, but here's the thing. Someone else already suffered the punishment for your sin. You are no longer, fi- you are not guilty by this court's record. And you are now declared right with me. There's nothing this court finds in you that's wrong. You're right with me. We have been made right with me. God, that's what it means to be justified, through faith, through faith. There's only one way to get this. There's only one way to be made right with God. It's through faith. And we know that faith is not something that we just do with our minds, it's something that we act on, right? We're saved by faith. So how do those two things go together? Here's what it means to be saved by faith. You're standing in that courtroom and before you've ever had a chance to walk out the door and go do something right, God declares you right. He says, you're right with me. Before you ever even had a chance to go do right, to go live right, he says, you are right. Because God knew from the very beginning that we people would not be able to do right unless he makes us right, unless he made us right, which he's done. Do you see how being made right with God just sort of rolls right into being at peace with God? Because the word peace in the Bible is most often coming from this word, it's a Hebrew word. It's the word shalom. Who's ever heard the word shalom before? Shalom. Yeah, you probably have. Now we know that Paul is writing in Romans to a bunch of Greek speaking people. But Paul was a good Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a religiously observant, faithful Jew. So you know that when he talks about the peace that we have with God, He's thinking about this word, shalom, shalom. And you know what shalom means? It doesn't just mean peace. It means salvation, deliverance, perfect and complete wholeness in every single way. You have been given wholeness from God. You have been put at peace and been made completely whole in every situation and in everything by God. Through this, being saved by faith, being made right with him. So how does this, how does this understanding that we've been made right with God, we've been given his peace, we've been put at peace with God, go with this idea that living the Christian life is something we do with our feet. It's something we're supposed to act on. What does it mean to live a real Christian life, a genuine one? What does it mean to be at peace with God? Y'all, I can say y'all, right? Yes. Those two questions have the same answer. They have the same answer. We have the opportunity through the shed blood of Jesus Christ to do life with God, to be in relationship with him, to wake up in the morning. And the first thing we think about is not, oh, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, or, oh man, I really messed up last night, I wasn't nice to my wife, or I, you know, I got frustrated with the kid. No, when we wake up in the morning, the first thing we can think is, wow, God, thank you that I'm right with you. And I get to do life with you now. Thank you that the condemnation that was once on my life is gone. And now I get to live this life that is centered around being in relationship with you and knowing you. Do you see why the next several verses he talks. You know what he talks about after this? It kind of throws people off. He goes through this thing about hope, which is really important. I want to touch on that really quick. He says, we not only have been been justified and we not only have peace with God, he says, we also have access by faith into the grace that we're standing in. In other words, we have access to God's favor. We have access to it. But we also rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let me tell you what that means really simply. The hope of the glory of God in the Bible is the expectation that God will be revealed to the world. It's the expectation that when you come to living a life that's at peace with God and in relationship with God, you're not only gonna be blessed, you are gonna reveal who God is to the world around you. People are gonna look at you and they're gonna go, wow. Something is different about Bob. What happened to that guy? He's just not the same person he used to be. That's why hope's calling is upward. Because when we get this in our hearts and in our minds, it changes who we are. And God starts showing himself off to the world around us. His love, his joy, his peace. And that's why the next thing that Paul talks about is rejoicing in suffering. Do you guys get the connection? Look, who knows that all of life, there's some sort of suffering that's going on, right? All around you. And in fact, I think I'm okay saying to this crowd, you all know that the older you get, oftentimes the more the suffering increases, right? Is that true? I could say, I'm 35 now, and things don't feel the same as they did when I was 18, and you all would laugh at me. Because I'm 30, I'm the youngest guy in the room, I'm guessing, probably, right? Am I I the youngest guy in the room, you think? Okay, yeah, I'm the youngest, okay. But who knows that as you get older, sometimes the suffering increases, right? And in most situations throughout the history of the church, being a Christian has meant suffering. In other words, it costs you something as far as the world is concerned. It costs you something. Following Jesus is a choice you have to make. But the early church believed two things about suffering. Suffering. They believe, first of all, that God does his best work in us when we come to points of trial and tribulation. Do you know why that is? Because when we suffer, we learn what really matters. We learn to value the one thing that can never be taken away from us. Our money could be taken away. Our loved ones could be taken away. Our health could be taken away. Everything could be taken away from us in this life. There's only one thing that can't be taken away and even death can't take it away. It's Christ. He can never be taken away from us. That's why the early church believed that God does his best work in us when we learn how to suffer well, when we learn how to value Christ above everything else in this life. That's why he says, right after he talks about having peace with God, we also rejoice in suffering. That's a totally different way of thinking, isn't it? a totally different way of thinking. They believed one other thing about suffering. They believed that the world would see Christ in us the most when we learn how to suffer well. When we learn not to love our lives, not to love our lives, not to take things personally, not to, when we go through difficulties, say to ourselves, why God, why is this happening to me? No, we say why God when he declares us righteous. How could you have made me righteous? I'm a sinner. He says, no, I've made you right with me through Jesus Christ. When we learn to value him more than anything else in this life, we show the world who God is. Truly, the hope, the expectation of the glory of God, the revealing of God to the world comes to pass in us when we learn to suffer well. And so... Do you see how all of this goes together? Suffering well and having peace with God and living an authentic Christian life. When you go through difficulties, my friends, when you go through hardship, maybe it's physical, maybe it's something else, and you live selflessly and you let let your whole life still be all about Jesus and not about what you're going through, the world will see Christ in you. And they will go, wow, there must be a God in heaven. And you will know, you will know that you are living an authentic Christian life. That your revelation of who he is is greater than anything else that could be going on around you. That's what it means to have peace with God. And that's what it means to live an authentic Christian life. And it's my prayer for myself, my family, and for all of us that we can lay hold of this amazing truth right here. That because we've been made right with God, we've been given the greatest gift we could ever have. Peace, the opportunity to reveal God to the world, but also, most importantly, it's God himself. We get to do life with him. And there's nothing, nothing, nothing more valuable than that. So can I pray for you? Okay. Father God, we praise you and we give you thanks for your love, for your faithfulness, for your peace for your perfect shalom that you keep us in moment by moment. The wholeness, the deliverance, the salvation. Lord, we pray that you would make your face to shine upon us, that you would be gracious to us, which you have promised us in Christ you will always do. Lord, we thank you that we have been made right with you and that we now have the opportunity to do life with you every moment of every day. And Lord, I pray that this truth would continue to sink deep into our hearts until it changes absolutely everything about who we are and how we live. Lord, you are the one who is worthy of all our praise, and we offer it to you now. And we do that, Lord, in the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen and amen. Amen. Bless you all. Thank you. you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. Also, please consider giving us a five-star review and telling your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube and check out our website for tons of free biblically-based content like Bible studies, devotionals, articles, and Bible teachings. The That You May Know Him podcast is produced by That You May Know Him Ministries, Durham, North Carolina. You can visit our website at thatyoumayknowhim.com.